When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Andy Staple Show in-person edition. We're, we're getting a lot more of these now that, that COVID is uh, changing and mutating and we all have vaccines and people let us do stuff now. So Mobile, Alabama, lovely Spring Hill Suites. I'm here with Robert Mays, the host of the Athletic Football Show, my NFL counterpart. And we had we got to stand in the rain and watch practice yesterday, Robert. Oh, yeah, was my fantastic. shoes are still wet. It's not a joke. I was wearing leather boots during a rainstorm, and they are still wet. 24 I, hours later. I Yeah, the socks I was wearing yesterday, I don't believe are making the trip home with me. They should not. Yeah. You know, they lived a good life, and it's time for them to say goodbye. Yeah, they're going to a nice, uh, a nice house in the country. A little, little Viking funeral for the <laughs> so, socks. Yeah, we, but we were, we were sitting there watching, you know, pass pro one-on-ones and, and watching quarterbacks play and going, one of these quarterbacks might get put in an NFL starting lineup next season, and that terrifies me. It, it really does, Robert. I, it, this is I, you. You've had Dane Brugler and, and Lance Zerline on your show, uh, doing the the pre draft stuff the last couple of days, and you know Dane is very upfront about it that the first quarterback off the board in this draft, whether that's Matt Corral or Kenny Pickett or or Sam Howell, whoever it is, would be the fifth guy off the board last year. And maybe, right? Maybe. Six, maybe. Maybe six, yeah. 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 So it is a, it is a different world. But let me ask you about that because, you know, as, as the college fans kind of transition into the, the pre-draft mode, the quarterback thing is, is very interesting because you kind of have to go who needs one. You know, who, who needs one? Where are they drafting? And you, you look around the league – you may have Aaron Rodgers moving somewhere. It looks like Jimmy Garoppolo is going to move somewhere. So there are potential established guys out there. But Tampa Bay just found itself in need of a new starting quarterback. Pittsburgh, obviously. Uh, we'll see what happens with the Broncos and Rodgers. But who are the teams that you're looking at and go, okay, they may try to take somebody in this draft? If I were looking at two teams in the first round or if I was putting money on it right now, I would say they're drafting a quarterback. It would be Washington and Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, I think we've heard that a million different times, and that's been one of the storylines down here is that they're potentially looking at one in the first round. And then I feel like Washington is going to be doing the same. I would be surprised if they didn't draft a quarterback. And they they tried Fitzpatrick, and then Taylor Heineke was – there were moments where you thought, okay, this this may be the guy, but then it it felt very much like a stopgap as the season went on. And they're the commanders now, so the <laughs> commanders even, need a new I'm commander in chief. That. Come I, on. They're, they're going to be Washington to me for as long as I can. I'm just going to hang on to that. You know, I would have gone with the football team. Like, I liked it better. I, I think thought it was, it was great. cool. Like, I think it was great. You're the football team. I, I love the uniform aesthetics, everything about it, but you need to sell stuff, and that's exactly why they're doing this. But I feel like you can sell more stuff as the football team. I, I Listen. Everything about their uniform choices over the last couple of years, just 
I liked it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was good, but there was no way they were going to stick I, with that. I don't. I can't remember who it was on Twitter, and I wish I, I could remember to give them credit. But they said the uniforms look like not the team that the movie's about, but one of the teams that team plays. That's what they look like. And again, Sunday, it looks yeah. like they're yeah, it looks like, like they're somebody, about to play the somebody Miami the Sharks. Miami Sharks were playing, yes. not, but not the Miami Sharks whose uniforms had more thought put well, into. Well, what them. is the 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 team from the replacements? Is the Washington Sentinels? Sentinels. Like, that's, that's exactly right. what it feels like. It See, feels I would like have gone name. with the Washington Sentinels and that uniform, and just seen if we could get a Keanu, <laughs> you know, cameo every once in a while. Oh. Gene, Gene Hackman's still with us. He is still with okay, us. Okay, there he's you go. in his nineties, but but he is still with yeah, us. Yeah, so I mean, that's the way to go. But they do they do need a quarterback. They they have good pieces on defense. If if they got the right guy, you would think, especially in that division, they could they could make some noise. I think their offense over outperformed their expectations and their talent level last yeah. year. So if they can get the right quarterback in there, then I feel like they can be a pretty solid team. Their defense should bounce back. Their defense really underperformed last year. So with the talent they have on that side of the ball, I think that they'll they'll probably be better in 2022 than they were last year. But I think the question is, what are you getting with these quarterbacks? That that's it's, what just I, because you draft. Yeah, I had a GM said this say this to me more than once. Just because you draft one doesn't mean it's going to work out. Just to, just because you make a guy a first round pick doesn't mean he's going to give you the production and the impact of a first round quarterback. Well, and and. I just don't know that anybody needs to be thrown right into an NFL starting lineup. I mean, I, watching Trevor Lawrence for a year, that guy has every tool you could possibly want. From a mental standpoint, he's built to handle adversity and, and deal with that stuff. And he struggled. He struggled to read defenses. He now Look, his receivers weren't getting open very often. But it was not an easy year for him. He could have used some time and – but you can't. When, when you take a guy number one overall, you have to start him. But, uh, you know, you go back through the years, like what the Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes was genius. To have him behind Alex Smith for a year where there was no pressure on him and he could learn. And we may be saying the same thing about what, what Kyle Shanahan did with Trey Lance. Those situations are rare. And yeah. the, the comparison that you can make with the Chiefs and the Niners is a strong one because they were in really similar situations where you have – the Niners were picking higher than they would have just because Jimmy got hurt again and they've been dealing with a lot of injuries, but I made the comparison when they drafted him and when they made that move up to number three. That quarterback, whoever it was, was going to be walking into as good a circumstances as anyone has seen since Patrick Mahomes because very rarely do you have a team with decent offensive talent, which the Niners have. Elite offensive linemen. Uh, uh, Trent Williams and Alex Mack are... They, up there. Yeah. I mean, that is an infrastructure, including the offensive play caller, that rookie quarterbacks rarely get thrown into. And it's so funny that you can make an argument that the Niners in 2021 and the Chiefs in 2017 had the two best situations for any quarterback drafted in the first round in the past decade, and neither of those guys played. Right. And one of them wound up being a superstar. And it, it does feel like it, especially watching this playoffs, and We've had this conversation on the college side for several years, and, and Stetson Bennett leading Georgia to the national title might kind of feels like the exception that proves the rule at this point. But you've got to have a megastar at quarterback now if yes. you want to win a Super Bowl. And if you don't have – so this is my question with this draft. Like, will one of these guys be a megastar? Maybe maybe Corral could, could grow into that. I don't necessarily see it with anybody else. So why even spend time, energy, anything on a first-round pick 
you think you have to do it at times. I mean, it, sometimes where you, you stumble into the timeline where it's necessary even if you don't want to. I mean, Washington, you look at it last year. They could have traded up for Justin Fields or Mac Jones. They did not feel compelled to do it for either one of those guys. I don't think they loved Justin Fields. And I said, you know what? We're, we're comfortable with what we have right now. But at a certain point, you need to start you need to start going down that path. They can't wait another year with the team that they have and with the front office that they have, everything else. And that leads to quarterbacks getting overdrafted. It's that sense of urgency and borderline desperation. And every once in a while, you have a group of teams that finds themselves in that place. I just I just feel bad because I, I can just imagine like Malik Willis, who you see him down in the senior bowl. He's, he's whipping throws all over the place. He's got great arm strength. He's, he's clearly a very, very good athlete. But – Knowing that he played in Gus Malzahn's offense at Auburn and Hugh Freeze's offense at Liberty, there will be a learning curve that I don't think can be overcome in year one, and somebody's probably going to pick him and throw him out there. And I'm just thinking, why? Because you could, given his tools, if things break right, you could build a really nice quarterback out of him. But just throwing him to the wolves just feels wrong. I think that part of the upside, part of the benefit to a lot of teams picking a little bit later in the draft needing quarterbacks this year, if you look at the top 10, look at the teams in the top 10 that are picking. The Lions theoretically could draft a quarterback. Right. So they're kind of the wrench. But the Jaguars have theirs. The Jaguars have have theirs. theirs. The Jets have theirs. The Giants, who have two first top 10 picks, they likely will not be drafting a quarterback in the top 10. So you can make an argument that a team like Washington or a team like Pittsburgh is potentially better equipped to insulate a rookie quarterback than teams we typically see draft a quarterback in the first round. Right. I think if you're trying to see the silver lining and build a case for optimism, that would be where I would do it. It's I'm I'm fascinated by that because I, I just this class is one of those that even you know people who cover college football we were looking at this two years out going mm, I don't know this is and then it ended up happening because that yeah. you never know. Right, because Joe There's Burrow Joe wasn't Burrow supposed that to be comes, Joe Burrow. Exactly. So, and even Mac Jones was not supposed to be a first-round pick right. before last season. So, we've said that in the past. It's like, ah, you know, how many guys are there really? And then, ultimately, you end up getting surprised by one or two people. And then that didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> None of those late risers kind of came into this year's draft. So, we're all kind of sitting there looking. like, Well, the teams that need a quarterback, this is not the year to do it. And we kind of knew that last year, and then it ultimately ended up being true. So I want to talk to you about the, the coaching carousel in the NFL because I've been fascinated watching it this year. We have seen in college this acceleration of coaching decisions because I won't get too in the weeds with you on the early signing period and all that. <laughs> but basically, they've they've got to hire somebody within you know a day or two of the season ending or they can't get a recruiting class together. And so you see – there was even a case this year where Texas Tech fired their coach and actually hired a Baylor assistant two weeks later in the middle of the season, and he just left and became. <laughs> the, well, how far is that drive? It's not that it's, bad, right? Uh, Texas is a big state. Yeah, I guess that's Wake, right. Waco yeah, to Lubbock's a, a haul. Far away. Yeah. yeah, but but now in the NFL, you've got like the Jaguars. As we speak, have not hired a coach. They fired Urban Meyer in in December. There and there's you know, they had an early early window where they could interview people and. Haven't found one. The Dolphins are still without a coach. Now, obviously, we will get to that that whole situation <laughs> in a second. But uh, the Vikings just came to, to terms on, on theirs and uh, uh, had a little Jim Harbaugh sidebar there. But 
what what is the 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 holdup in the pro like with the Jaguars? Why is it taking so long? It seems like with the Jaguars, part of the concern is the Trent Balky of it all. The GM, which yeah. he's the general manager there, and you know his track record is not great when it comes to I guess interpersonal dynamics is how I would describe it. And speaking of Jim Harbaugh, those yeah, two. Well, there you go. So and <laughs> didn't get along very famously. It. it it's so funny to me. It's not even funny. It's almost sad when you look at a situation like Jacksonville. And when you – two examples that I'll point out. There's teams that have really struggled over the last five, seven, ten years are Chicago and the, and the Giants. Right. If you look at those situations, you have all of these regimes where, all right, we're going to fire the head coach, but we're going to keep the general manager. And we're going to try to have this arranged marriage between the two and see if it works out. And they've done that a couple different times. They kept the GM through several different coaches and then the, all of that stuff. The Giants did the same thing right. where they fire a coach, they keep Dave Gettleman, and then they bring in a new coach. Both of those teams decided, you know what? Let's Clean not slate. do that again. Clean yeah. break. Let's start over. Because it helps with alignment. You, yes. you have an aligned vision for what you want the team to look like. The, the Giants and the Bears, or the Vikings and the Bears both just did this. And the Giants, right? Yeah. You hire a general manager. And you bring in a coach right after that with the GM as part of the search, even if it's only for a little bit. But it's a clean break, and you don't have this half-built house that somebody has to move into and figure it out. I, it, and it's, it blows my mind covering college football because like, the first question an athletic director will ask a new coach is, what is your personnel philosophy? What's your scheme? You know, who, what are you trying to and, – and there, there are no warring factions there because the head coach controls – the personnel philosophy. It's such a unique thing, right? Yeah. I mean, it's... It, and Bill Belichick's the only one that does that in the NFL, essentially, right? There are several There are several examples. I think that there are multiple teams where I would say they have a head coach-driven approach to the way they do things. Okay. The Patriots are one of those teams. The Chiefs are one of those teams. The Niners are one of those teams. The Saints were one of those teams under Sean Payton. But Robert, there seems to be something in common with all these franchises. They're successful. Yeah, they seem to win. But like, <laughs> there are plenty of examples where it has not worked out, right? True. Urban Meyer was supposed to be that person. Oh, yeah. Urban exactly. Meyer, that was a coach-driven model that the Jags were, Jaguars were trying to follow. The Raiders under John Gruden yes. were supposed to follow that model. I think Steve Kime did a really good job, actually filled in a lot of Cliff Kingsbury's weaknesses as a personnel evaluator from when he was a head coach at Texas Tech. You know, he, he could never get a good defense there. He could never – and a lot of it was the offense he was running opposite it. But he, he could not convince good defensive players to come there. In the NFL, it's different because you're drafting. But Steve Kime put Buda Baker in place, put Isaiah Simmons in place, and, and suddenly you've got a defense that makes that offense better. Fair. I will say, though, that if you're looking at the Cardinals roster and you're comparing it to really good teams in the NFL – it's not close. They aren't. They don't have the depth and overall. The word we use a lot on the show is connective tissue. If you look at the connective tissue of the Cardinals roster, mm -hmm. defensive line, offensive line, even the corner is just a position that they were kind of taping it together with, with duct tape and paper clips for most of the season. I think that Vance Joseph has done a remarkable job there over the last two years as a defensive coordinator with some shifting personnel and really not a ton of high level talent and done a good job with it. Their roster is, I think they've overcome the lack of talent and the lack of depth they've had there over the last couple of years. Well, and the other example I think that people go back to mm -hmm. that have, has been trotted out when you're making an argument for keeping the general manager, 
is what Jason Light has done in with the Bucks. Yeah. He, I think that they've done a really good job of building that roster. I will also say that when you're talking about alignment, it's a unique circumstance because Bruce Arians worked with Jason Light for several years in Arizona. They know each other. Yeah. Also, part of the equation of the Bucks ultimately finishing this thing off is convincing the greatest quarterback of all time <laughs> exactly. to come there in free agency. So different. These, the, the circumstances and the cases where this have worked, I think the the elements of it are unique enough that we shouldn't prop those up as positive examples. It's a lot easier to just say, you know what? We're going to start over. Yeah. Which brings us back to the Jags. Why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't that be the strategy here? There is no reason. Shad Khan not wanting to admit he's wrong. I think the silliest feels thing like in the it, world. Yeah. It, it's, just, it's the silliest thing in the world. It, it, it makes no sense to me. And then there was a report today that they're going to try to bring in Rick Spielman in right. a role that is above Trent Baalke's role within the organization. This is how you stay bad. <laughs> just, just point blank. This is how you stay bad. Yeah. And I, I hate to be that negative and dismissive, but that's the reason that if you're a coach coming into that situation, if you're Byron Leftwich, for example, yeah. you don't want to deal with that. Wait, more layers of, of bureaucracy? Great. Now I have to deal with these two people that I have to please? Just having an organizational vision and a cohesion between your personnel department and your coaching staff, everyone moving in the same direction. It, it seems simple, but it's really, really important. Well, I, I will tell you that that's where college and pro do align in, in some cases because alignment is the kind of the buzzword now when, when you have coaches. Uh, the, the new coaches at Florida and Oklahoma both turned down Auburn because they felt like Auburn was out of alignment, like the administration was out of alignment with the football program. And, and, and so I don't think the, the sports are that different on that front. It's just the issues that they have regarding alignment are, are maybe a little bit different. Maybe it's more of a resource-driven thing versus a personnel-driven thing. But it's, it's funny how that it, all, it always comes back to sometimes humans who have big jobs where they make lots of money, their egos sort of clash hundred percent. And I think that when you look at a lot of the cases now that intrigue me when it comes to these new setups, like what Minnesota is doing, Harbaugh never made sense there to me. It never made any sense. I think it was a somewhat tenuous connection with Quezé Adolfo Mensa, who was with him in San Francisco for right. a couple of years. Maybe that initially is what gets him that interview. But when you think about everything I've heard about him, about Quezé and what he was in his previous stops and what he was in Cleveland – just a different sort of personality than what they've been dealing with in Minnesota for the last couple of years, mostly with Zimmer, right? Where yeah. there's a, there's an unease in the building because that's kind of the environment that he created. And it's kind of his personality. Yeah. That is not what they're going to have in their personnel department. It's not going to be that sort of tone to these conversations. So bringing in someone like Harbaugh, who is, He's going to keep you on edge. That's, I think it's fair to say that he has a, a somewhat abrasive personality, somewhat, right? Would, somewhat would be an understatement. Yeah, I, and, I mean, his, he wants he wants to keep everyone on edge at all times. And that I could I, – it was so hard for me to imagine them going that direction after what they've just dealt with over the last eight years. Yeah, it is pretty similar. And, and yeah, I would have been I would have been surprised. Well, and, and that's, that's why what, when they didn't do it, I was like, that makes more yeah, sense Yeah, that's to what me. We, were, we were talking about it after, after the news came out yesterday and you know my thought was he probably went into the interview acting like Jim Harbaugh and the the Vikings folks looked around and said wait a second this is not what we wanted to work with and 
it, it'll be interesting as he goes back to Michigan because he signed a, a contract last year that was very school friendly that, that cut his pay in half because he had absolutely no leverage. There is an extension that has been offered that was offered before the Vikings interview came along. I don't know if I were the AD, I might just pull the extension and be like, well, you're here. <laughs> like, yeah. What are you gonna do about it? <laughs> I mean, it's because he won the Big Ten after accepting the uh, the gut punch of the the pay cut. So it, maybe it makes him mad, and makes him better. It, it feels like it. Him being an attractive candidate for an NFL team is based on where you are. Right? Are, are, do, are you a team that you know we've really built something that we feel good about, but we just didn't think that we had the coach to take it over the top? There, I think the most the example that I would point to you right now hypothetically maybe a year from now i don't think he would get hired there but this is the type of scenario i'm thinking of if you're dallas and oh you yeah. and you hit a wall again yeah right? you have the team in place God, jerry jones and jim harbaugh that's together. why i don't think it would ever Good happen <laughs> i i think that if i were making bets right now sean payton will be the cowboys head coach in 2023 oh yeah it almost feels like we're just going through the motions here. Well, you had to have the Kevin James movie first. Sure. You, you know. When the Cowboys go 8-9-8 eight, and eight this year and they don't make the playoffs with one of the most talented rosters in football again, it feels like Sean Payton will be there. I think that a situation like that is more appropriate for somebody like Jim Harbaugh. Right. I think the Vikings, if you look where the Vikings are, depending on some of the choices that they make, I think they'll probably end up keeping Kirk this year because the finances He's of got it are one such guaranteed that, year left yes. on the deal, right? Yeah. And so next year they can start over. You know, this is a team that it's kind of a fascinating situation where Justin Jefferson will still be just under it's really Justin Jefferson, yep. the two offensive tackles, Dalvin, Dalvin. Cook yep. and Eric Kendricks are really the only guys and then Daniel Hunter. Yeah. That's they can and that's not how it's been for them the last few years. Yeah. You know, they've had an aging roster where they were trying to really maximize their window. For so long, they've had the same Rob Brzezinski, who is their finance guy there, who does all their contracts. He's been there forever. He's still there. He was still there after Spielman That's left. the most important position in the NFL, right? The, the guy it's who really can work important magic to have that with. person. <laughs> and he, he's done a very good job. They did a really good job of kind of figuring out the money of it. But they, in the, that kind of 2018-2019 range, they tried to maximize their window, and they made some financial concessions in ways that they didn't in previous years. We're like, you know what? We'll push money into future years. Yeah. The way they structured an Anthony Barr-type contract, they were willing to compromise in ways they weren't before. Right. Those times are over. They can start over if they want to. And that's, again, why that marriage never made sense to me because I thought the Vikings were closer to a reset mm-hmm. than they were to pushing it over the finish line. Right. And Jim Harbaugh is not yeah, the guy Harbaugh's for a reset. The, you're ready to go. Let's Let's do this now. Yes. Yeah. And so that that is a situation where if if he's looking for leverage again next year, I think a, a team like that in that sort of mode would be the closest thing to it. Honestly, I thought the Raiders potentially could be a team like that. Yeah. Which they went. But it felt like that was more coming from the Harbaugh side than the Raiders side. T- totally could be. Yeah. But that when that was brought up, I was like, that could make sense to me. You know, their roster isn't that great, but they have a 31 year old quarterback that if they wanted to commit to him. Right. There's a potential world where, all right, we're we're inching this more toward the finish line than, than we are starting over. With the Vikings, I think that they should be closer to starting over yeah. next year and kind of figuring out what that looks yeah, like. Yeah, because you don't want to just be perpetually kind of in the middle. And that's what they is have. where they are. They are. Although their division, eh, 
we'll see what happens. <laughs> but I, they, there's a lot of fluidity there, but I think that they are in a place where we need to really reconsider this because they've been middling and tinkering right for the last four years. Yeah, and, and, and it hasn't brought them anywhere. That's it's weird because that's not even the life cycle of an NFL franchise. The, the the whole system is made for you to be able to to have an upswing at some point, and so yeah, they had one in in a very strange way. You know, they're a unique franchise in that they kind of stumbled in to this championship caliber team in 2017 because when you look at the way that all worked, Teddy was there. Mm-hmm. Teddy tears up his knee. Yep. They trade for Sam Bradford, and then Sam Bradford gets hurt. So then Case Keenum has to come in. And they have this Case Keenum-led offense that somehow finishes as the second most efficient offense in football in the same year where they have the best defense in the NFL. And they looked at that scenario and said, you know, we're a buzzsaw Eagles team away from potentially winning the Super Bowl this year. We have the resources because to go get a quarterback. Because we had earmarked the money for Teddy. Right. And they gave Kirk a deal that was – unprecedented at the time right because guaranteed years they saw him as a quarterback who was unprecedented when it came to the free agent market very rarely do you have a quarterback that is even as good as Kirk Cousins hitting free agency in the NFL Washington bungled that situation they franchised him twice Washington messed something up right they did they mismanaged something how it's you will look at quarterbacks and how they move in the NFL the 2020 quarterback free agent class with Brady and with Rivers is incredibly rare for the most part if you want to go get a guy you have to do what the rams just did where they trade trade two first round picks for matthew stafford so the kirk cousins thing was really weird and they thought it would be this kind of finishing stroke on this championship caliber roster and that's not what ended up happening right like their defense took a step back in the way that these things do the offense that was pretty unsustainable and why it was successful in 2017 took a moderate step back in 2018 they were still pretty good but that's what they were for the last four years they were pretty good so let's let's talk about a team that was supposed to be really bad and were not as bad as they were supposed to be and that may have contributed to the coach getting fired a couple years later the brian flores (laughs) lawsuit is fascinating to me on a lot of levels now there's all you know there's a whole we could do eight shows on the Rooney rule, how that affects all of this stuff. You know, are these, inter- are, are a lot of these interviews shams where they've already decided who the, the guys, and also Brian Flores may get a job. He, I mean, in Texas or the Saints, the right? Couple days. Yeah. That's why to me, the biggest surprise with this entire thing wasn't what Brian Flores said. It wasn't that somebody brought this sort of action against the league. It was that Brian Flores did because of where he is in his cycle as maybe coach. That, but maybe that's why. Maybe because he's in a pretty good spot where he may get another job. And so instead of him saying – people, or, well, instead of critics saying that you're only doing this because you can't get a job, I think he can be the guy I'm going to get a job, but I can do this for, for people, for other people. I think it makes, one, what he's done – incredibly courageous and two it makes him a really potent messenger for it right because he there isn't this i've been out of the league for two years and i'm only doing this because i've been passed over and i've been marginalized to the point that i have like an axe to grind he's somebody that doesn't have to do this he could have got another job and he still chose Mm -hmm. to go out and do this which i think makes it even more powerful yeah and the thing is you know these these owners want to win this is a guy who won games with a horrendous roster 
His, purposely, his, a purposely his, horrendous purposely, roster. Right, and that's what I want to get to because the other piece of that that could be potentially huge is the accusation that an owner was trying to get his team to tank. And, and look, we know teams tank. We watched the 76ers do it in the NBA. By the way, didn't work. <laughs> Did, <laughs> may, may, maybe don't use your number one overall draft pick on a, a point guard who doesn't like to shoot or another point guard who couldn't get Washington to the NCAA tournament, in fact, had them below 500. It would neither here nor there, but <laughs> but we've seen tanking in sports and in other leagues. In the NFL, you you've seen versions of it, but nothing that blatant. And obviously, Brian Flores would have to prove this. But at the time, you know, Stephen Ross is investing in a gambling company, and like, there's a lot of layers. It's to it. still a lot going on. There's a lot of layers to it, and I think that the potential ramifications of it are pretty explosive. I mean, on the tanking side of it. We've seen tank in the NFL. The way to tank is to make your roster as bad as possible. You can't sleepwalk through an NFL game the way that you can sleepwalk through an NBA game. Right. You can't sit your all of your best players and well, you know, he's got a knee. Yeah. You know he'll he'll, yeah. he'll miss the final eight weeks of the season. In the NFL, it's just not possible to tank that way. The only way to do it is to strip your roster from with a strip your roster of enough talent. Strip roster of all of its talent, and and and, and, that's the, the, and the other problem is the players will will not tank. They can't because they, they have jobs to win. They need to win a job next year, so they won't tank. There's no way to do that. Yeah. You have to do it in the off season, and I think that that's another mistake the Dolphins would have made in that. I also think that in a vacuum, in a theoretical way, tanking makes total sense because you don't want to be on the hamster wheel of being one of those teams stuck like in the, the Vikings. Middle. We just talked exactly, about. yeah. And I think that having a plan to get off that hamster wheel is worthwhile. Those plans work with mixed success. You know, the Browns were this terrible team for two years and they drafted Baker Mayfield in 2018. If they drafted Josh Allen instead, you know, who knows what happens? If they draft Lamar Jackson instead, right. who knows what happens? So you ultimately have to make good on those picks, even if I understand the theory behind trying to tear it down a little bit. Yeah. And this is what happened with the Dolphins. They won just enough games in that 2019 year where they get the fifth overall pick instead of the first overall pick, they get Tua in a draft where Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert were the other teams picked in the top 10. And now Brian Flores is out of a job really to no fault of his own based on the coaching job that he did. Right. And, and Chris Greer, the, the general manager, he's stayed in, you know, through all of these iterations yet, yet, yet again, let's yeah. keep the general manager who's built all of the bad teams. <sighs> I never understand it. It, it. It's a level of... But he built the bad team on... Well, if we're to believe Brian Flores, he built the bad team on purpose well, the, and they, they accidentally won some games. The team this year wasn't supposed to be bad. <laughs> no, no, no. It was they, supposed to be good. They, they're, the way they have drafted over the last couple of years has been concerning. I mean, this last year, the 2020 draft, where they drafted Tua and two other first-round picks, this was supposed to be the draft. This Think is the, about it. The gas mask bong with Laramie Tunsil. It like what that could have been for the Dolphins, because it, that's the only reason they could draft him where they did. And they turned him into however many draft picks. Yes. And then all of those draft picks ultimately turned into very little so far. That's great. It's just amazing. I me. mean, they have a corner. They drafted a corner in the first round that year who can't play. They have a tackle who just looks like a mess consistently. And they have a quarterback who is by far 
the third best quarterback in the top 10 of his own draft class. Like, it's not even a conversation. The other two guys are potentially transformative, and they ended up with the third guy. That's it. not even potentially transformative. The other two guys are transformative players. Yeah. It's, it is crazy. And, and, you know, obviously, if what Flores said is, can be proven, there's a whole lot that, that has. I mean, I think you're, you're, you're going into shoeless Joe territory. At that point, which is interesting. I was thinking about this because with all the, the states legalizing sports gambling in college sports, everybody's worried about, oh, is it, you know, are, are people going to fix games or like is somebody going to get the Winthrop basketball team to throw a game <laughs> on a Tuesday night or whatever? And I, I just thought, OK, well, at least the NFL is, is kind of fix proof because the players make so much money. No player is going to risk yeah. that salary for whatever it is you could pay him for, to, to try to throw something. But I never thought about the billionaire owner try, <laughs> potentially trying to do it. I mean, I feel like that, I mean, who knows what's real about that and what their actual motivations were. And my read on that situation is that they wanted to lose games because they right. wanted to It's a traditional tanking scenario. I mean, that's yeah. why they wanted to lose games. And yeah. that, that, that's my You just can't financially it. incentivize it. Of course not. If, if <laughs> Think about that. I mean... Because the idea, if you're a tanking team needs to lose like 14 or 15 games to, to guarantee the first pick in the draft, that's that's a chunk of change if for 100 grand. So, but again, we don't know if that's true or not. That's the accusation that is in the the lawsuit. It's definitely the most explosive of those accu- accusations. I think that the other the questions that to me are the most interesting ones, the ones it raises about everything about where we look for coaches. You know, and I think that, mm-hmm. that that to me is going to be an ongoing conversation. You had an it has interesting an conversation with Stephen Holder when we were sitting there at practice the other day, and Stephen covers the the Colts for us, and and you were kind of pointing to these fads that lead to every member of a coaching tree gets hired, and Tony Dungy's tree produced quite a few blackhead coaches, and it's, that's the last time there were a significant number in the league. Yes. And if you look at it, I'm around you know, 2005, 2010, in that range, that I believe there were seven black coaches in the NFL, which is seven times as many as there are right now. Right. Virtually every single one of those guys, I believe six of the seven, worked directly under Tony Dungy at one point. Yeah. Because most of the league in that stage, when 2002, right, when that team was really good, then obviously oh, everybody, the Colts were really good. Everybody wanted to do what the Bucks did and what the Colts did. Everyone wanted their version of Tony Dungy. Yeah. So that led to black coaches getting hired. Now everyone wants their version of Sean McVay to the point where it's gotten like sort of comical. Kevin O'Connell, another offensive coordinator from that staff in Los Angeles, is now a head coach in Minnesota. That's And when you look at coaches, if you go into a conversation as an owner and say, I want my version of Sean McVay, that looks a certain way. Yeah, that, that this is well, what it looks I, like. It's a fairly worldwide guy. Let me, let me help the, the NFL owners out if, if they would like some, some help from someone who's seen it on the other, uh, in another level. Most of the coaches who've tried to hire a version of Nick Saban by hiring someone who worked with Nick Saban, or most of the, the schools, it has not worked. Now, the reigning national champions is one place where it did work. The guy that just signed the, the number one recruiting class in the country, Texas A&M, that's a place where it has worked, and, and he obviously won a national title at Florida State, Jimbo Fisher. But for the most part, Derek Dooley, Will Muschamp, uh, the, the list, Jim McElwain at Florida, like the list is long of the ones that didn't work. So just because a guy was in somebody's orbit, like 
that fairy dust doesn't always land. Well, it's kind of strange because it has worked in a lot of ways. If you look at the final four teams, if you look at the final eight teams, if you look at the two teams playing in the Super Bowl, the guy coaching the Bengals was the quarterback's coach for the Rams when he was hired to be the Bengals head coach. Kyle Shanahan coached with Sean McVay. Matt LaFleur was on those staffs and was the offensive coordinator for the Rams while Sean McVay was there. Kyle Shanahan is a different different version of... (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Kyle Shanahan precedes all of this, but that model has worked yeah. right this it has worked and in it, a lot it, of specific and cases. it worked with the dungy tree it it, it had and it, jim caldwell took the lions to the playoffs to me the the biggest thing with me is if we're in this era of the young wunderkind offensive coach there are no black wunderkind offensive coaches because they are not given those opportunities they, there are not a ton of black quarterback coaches. There right. are very few. There is one yeah. black offensive play caller in the NFL. Yeah. One. And Brian Johnson just just became one. Brian in, Johnson. Mark. Uh, yep. So Brian, the, I believe the four black quarterback coaches are Brian Johnson, Charles London, Ronald Curry, and Pep Hamilton. Those okay. are the. I think yep. those are the only four as it currently stands. And, and Pep, I, is Pep the only one of those who's called plays in the at the NFL level? Yes. Okay. All those other guys were elevated to those roles very recently. Right. Brian Johnson called plays in co- at the college level, but actually wasn't calling plays at the college level when he got hired. And the, all those guys Eagles, were so. quarterbacks coaches, yeah. right? And so Charles yeah. London was the running backs coach for the Bears before he was the quarterbacks coach for the Falcons. Ronald Curry was the wide receivers coach for. The Saints before he was the quarterbacks coach. Pep has always worked with quarterbacks. He's yeah. been he's kind of the exception there. And if you look at black offensive coordinators in the NFL, I believe there are three. They're wow. Byron Lefwich, Marcus Brady in Indianapolis, and Eric Bieniemy in Kansas City. Only one of them calls plays. So if we're looking at potential offensive coaches, I mean, look at the last look at the hires so far. There have been five hires in this cycle. Four of them are offensive head coaches who theoretically would call plays. Brian right. Dable. That's I think. In question, they want to find an offensive coordinator. Maybe now it's but Mike he Kafka. was obviously the play caller in he Buffalo. He was, yeah. So that is the model. There, if that's the model, the pool that you're pulling from is inherently going to be full of white coaches based on what most offensive staffs in the NFL look like, and that's a problem. Yeah, that's uh, and and it's interesting because it, it feels like college has been through this too, and 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 they're still kind of working their way through it. But I'll be curious to see what the floor is lawsuit does if it if it helps because it, it, you're right it's it's more systemic than anything else it's it's who comes through your pipeline how do you yes because I, I i saw um who there was a an ex-nfl corner who's on the support staff at, at texas a&m i'm why am i blanking on a great great corner played at florida state uh played a million years in the nfl um Bad, bad when I when is it Antonio brain, Cromartie. It is Antonio Cromartie. So I'm, 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 my my brain just poof. <laughs> but so he's and and he went on a kind of a Twitter rant the other night about you know where does where does my experience factor in? You know, shouldn't I be? And he's not saying I want to jump the line. He's saying I have this valuable experience that maybe these other guys don't have that could be of value. Well, look at the guys who jumped the line, okay? Is there a black head coach that could have a losing record as a college head coach, get fired, and then get hired as a head coach? Oh, the Cliff Kingsbury scenario? No, that would never. Is there a quarterback's coach like Zach Taylor that could be hired to be an NFL head coach? The guys that get those opportunities look like Zach Taylor. 
That's just always how it's been. And that's the most frustrating part about this. Josh McCown, if he gets hired to be the Texans head coach, there's a chance Josh McCown is a good NFL head coach. Maybe it ultimately ends up working. That one is an entirely different conversation, I think, though. It's just so, that's the problem. That's right? a, the, the Texans are, are their own miniseries, basically. But, yeah, it, 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 I am very curious to see how all of this shakes out because it's there's one kind of big systemic thing that, that probably will take a while to, to rectify, and then you've got this major bombshell like, holy crap what because that could have its own set of tentacles if if that winds up being true i don't there's not a lot of progress being made there is an incremental hopefully amount of progress that's been made over the last couple of years that list of quarterbacks coaches that i gave that number is bigger than it used to be it's only yeah. four but it's bigger than it used to be the fact that we now have six black general managers and i believe five of those six have been hired since 2019 those are the small, small steps that need to happen, but they're not nearly enough. Well, I was going to say that I think that, especially with the general managers, that does help too because those people are going to have so much more influence in hiring. Hundred percent. Yeah. So we'll we'll see how it goes. But that was we were all out at practice when that lawsuit hit, and everybody's just like, "What on earth is is this? This is this is crazy." So very interesting times in the NFL. Uh, quarterback golden age enjoy it everybody listen to the athletic football show with robert mays five days a week five days a week it we'll is be, we'll be coming we'll have six shows next week from the super bowl because we have dan and lance bringing their draft takes once a week but we're also going to do a show next wednesday so we got a lot of stuff happening i we're almost there wait no i i cannot wait because when, when i got to drive somewhere you you guys are are the ones who keep me company so we will help you out next week for sure <laughs> thank you robert thank you man 